You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and I wanted to start with the exciting announcement that my Declutter Your Motherhood audio course is $30 off right now through Thursday, January 18th. Tis the season for New Year's resolutions, and you may be feeling the urge to declutter your closet and your physical spaces right now. Why not declutter your busy schedule and your heavy expectations of yourself as well? In the step-by-step audio course, I will teach you how to inventory your overwhelm, edit your expectations, and make room for more joy in your life in 2024. We will literally declutter your mom life in the way we declutter your closet. Now, I don't know about you, but I have purchased some online courses over the past several years that I have never made the time to sit down at my computer and go through. And that is so frustrating. What a waste of money. I want to assure you that you won't have that problem with this course because all of the lessons are delivered on a private podcast feed so you can listen on the go in the midst of your busy mom life. If you make time to listen to podcasts each week, you can make time for this course. There's also a comprehensive workbook so you can actually take action on what you're listening to and apply it to your unique life. I designed this course with busy moms in mind because I want you to have a mom life that feels intentional instead of chaotic, busy, and stuffed to bursting. To start decluttering your motherhood right now and to get $30 off through January 18th, go to 3in30podcast.com slash declutter to sign up. That's 3in30podcast.com slash declutter. Welcome to 3in30, a podcast to help you feel more like yourself within your motherhood. Each 30-minute episode features three actionable takeaways to help you become a more self-assured mom, someone who knows yourself, honors your needs, and loves your people. Listen in to feel encouraged as we learn together how to overcome overwhelm and find more magic in motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. I'm so glad you're here. I want to start today's episode with a few questions for you to consider. Do you ever feel like you're running faster but not moving any closer to your goals? Or do you want to make a higher contribution but you lack the energy? Are you teetering right on the edge of burnout? And do things feel so much harder than you know they ought to be? These questions come directly from the introduction of the New York Times bestselling book Effortless by Greg McEwen. And I will admit that next to each question in the margin of my copy of his book, I wrote, yes, 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 and yes, exclamation point. And maybe you joined me with your own emphatic yeses as you heard those questions. In last week's episode, I talked about my deep desire in the new year to simplify my life, get back to the essentials, and get off of the runaway train of busyness and overwhelm. I shared three takeaways from Greg McEwen's first book, Essentialism, so be sure to go back and listen to that if you haven't already, because today's episode is a continuation of that discussion. Today, I'm thrilled and honored to have the author Greg McEwen on the podcast with me, talking about his second book, Effortless. In the introduction to this book, in addition to that list of very relatable questions that I started with, he says this, There's an ebb and flow to life. Rhythms are in everything we do. There are times to push hard and times to rest and recuperate. But these days, many of us are pushing harder and harder all the time. There's no cadence, only grinding effort. Life is hard, really hard in all sorts of ways, ranging from the complicated to the weighty, the sad to the exhausting. Disappointments are hard. Paying the bills is hard. Strained relationships are hard. Raising children is hard. Losing a loved one is hard. 
There are periods in our lives when every day can be hard. To try to pretend that a book can eliminate these hardships would be fanciful. I didn't write this book to downplay these burdens. I wrote it to help you lighten them. This book may not make every hard thing easy to approach and carry, but I believe it can make many hard things easier. End quote. I love Greg's realistic, heartfelt voice there, that there are no tricks or tips to remove the hardships in life, and also his assurance that there are some tools that can make the load of life feel a bit lighter. So with that promise in mind, I can't wait to share this episode with you, and I truly hope it will give you insights that will help lighten your mental and emotional load as you do the incredibly important work of motherhood. Something that I love about Greg's books is that he shares such memorable stories to illustrate each principle and I asked him to do the same in today's episode. He introduces a takeaway and then tells us a story to bring home the point, stories from history, business, and even his own personal life with one of his daughters named Eve. I know you're going to love his insights, and as he talks, I invite you to think about how each of his stories could apply to your daily life as a mother. How can you apply these principles to make motherhood feel a little bit easier, a little bit more effortless? With no further ado, here is my conversation with Greg McEwen. Greg, I have read and studied your work for almost a decade now, so it is truly wow. an honor to have you on 3 and 30. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so great to be with you, Rachel. When I first read Essentialism, I think I read it in 2014, about the time it came out. I had young kids. I think my <laughs> kids were around four and one, and I recognized that this book was largely written with business leaders and owners in mind, and many of the examples have to do with work in the corporate world. But also, I could see so much of my own experience and how this could bless my life, and I also very much appreciated how much you brought your perspective as a father mm. into what you were sharing. And so I guess I just want to start by asking you, do you think that the work of essentialism and effortless is pertinent to the overwhelmed parent. Look, the books are not business books. They are trying to address human questions in a way that is relevant to someone who is in a corporate environment or is not in a corporate environment. But the seed of them is clearly people and the principles that can help them. And what I think is an important distinction is that, in a sense, Effortless was written with someone not in a corporate experience first. I mean, in a sense, it's written for mothers. And, mm -hmm. th and that's not lip service. I mean, there's a very particular set of challenges to be a mother, to be a stay-at-home mother, to be a father in today's world of endless expectations and an enormous pressure to appear perfect in everything that we're doing in an environment where the, the, the challenge of raising children is like the ultimate startup. Uh, where it's always changing constantly. The need of the child is changing. And just the second you think, okay, I think I sort of know what they need and how to meet that need, suddenly the need changes. And so the parenting approach before is no longer relevant. And, and so there is an inherent exhaustion, especially if you're with those children most of the time. Mm -hmm. What I learned as I was doing the research for Effortless is that there is a complex mindset that has infiltrated our minds that makes everything harder than it needs to be. Mm. And so if you take something as important and essential as motherhood, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
There isn't anything more important. There isn't. Just somebody name it. There isn't anything. And it's massively undervalued now. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it sort of gets lip service sometimes, or it just gets pushed off the agenda or even belittled now. And then in addition to that, we have these things that make us really believe that everything has to be hard all of the time. And so mm -hmm. that we don't know that there is a more effortless way to do this most important work. And so if you combine that, all of those forces and challenges with this internal paradigm of like, just everything has to be hard and anything important has to be hard. And if, it, if it's not suffering all the time, I'm doing something wrong, I'm not sacrificing enough. You take what is already a significant challenge, but now you make it like you will be truly miserable. Like you will be seriously depressed. And so the whole of effortless is an attempt to undo that unhelpful paradigm and to just even open people to the possibility that there's a way of doing the important work, like the important work of motherhood, that isn't so hard all the time. Oh, what a beautiful introduction. And I can't wait for your practical takeaways. Moms listening, I'm sure, are like, okay, tell me how, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> and they can read your whole book to get all of the insights. But we're just going to start today with a brief little teaser with three takeaways of how we can make this very important work of motherhood, feel less arduous, feel a little bit more effortless. So what is your first takeaway for us? Employ the 85% rule. Okay. Great. Okay. Now the story. <laughs> Go back with me to the 1800s. This is, of course, more than a hundred years before somebody's trying to get to the moon, but it was sort of the moonshot of its time. And this was who will be the first to get to the South Pole? Like lots of people had tried, but nobody in recorded history had ever made it to the South Pole. But then there comes this moment uh, where you have two teams who set off almost on the same day to be able to get there. So they're in now a competition, a race to the poles. You have a British team and a Norwegian team. Now, the British team had an expedition leader who had an idea, something like this. Maximum effort equals maximum results. Hmm. Now, that sounds in a way quite reasonable how he executed on that idea was, okay, day one, we're going to max out. We're going to go the furthest and fastest we possibly can. So if on day one, they can go 30 or 40 or even 50 miles, they'll do it because that's the way to win. That's the way to go fastest. And day two, the same and day three. But then what complicated matters is that a few days into it, they have a really terrible weather day. Hmm. And now they have the problem that they're mentally, emotionally, physically exhausted, and they now have this huge problem on their hands of terrible weather. So in, they try to make progress, but they have nothing in them to get them through this unexpected challenge. So instead, they sit in their tents and they bemoan their situation, depressed, really. Uh, you're writing in the journals. We don't think anyone could make progress in weather like this. We have the worst weather ever. Well, they were wrong. There was another team that could make progress, even in bad weather like this. And it was the Norwegian team whose expedition leader had a different idea. We could summarize it as optimal effort equals maximum results. Mm. And he'd learned it as it happens from the indigenous Eskimos who had taught him that if you push too hard in the South Pole, then you sweat too much and the water becomes your enemy because you're going to freeze and then that's going to be extremely hard to make any progress in. So he 
took from that understanding a simple rule, and that was 15 miles a day. Day one, they could go much further than 15, but they're still doing 15. They stop before they're at their absolute limit. Mm -hmm. Day two, the same. Day three, and then they get the first bad weather day, but now they have what it takes to be able to continue. Mm. So even on the bad weather day, do 15 miles and so on and so on. Now, this works well, but then the plot thickens because the Norwegian team get within 45 miles of the South Pole. This is the team that's pacing themselves. Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. So the Norwegian team, they have perfect weather conditions. And so if they violate the rule just this once, one big push, they could get to the South Pole in a single day, right? 45 miles, we'll get there in a single day. And to top it off, they don't know where the British team is. So for all they know, the British team is ahead of them. Mm. So like, Everybody listening to this, they could think about, like, what would you do? Do you push or do you pace? How loyal would you be to the principle? Mm -hmm. And amazingly, in my view, they paced. They took three days, averaging again 15 miles per day to complete and successfully get to the South Pole. Okay, so what happens? They've beaten the British team by more than 20 days. Wow. It's impossible. That's not what should happen. But that's the whole thing. This maximum effort equals maximum results is wrong. It's not just wrong because it's inhuman what it does to people. It's also wrong because it's ineffective. And, and yet this idea has got lodged like a, imagine like a, some bad 1980s motivational speaker. You have to do 110%. You have to do it all. You have to be perfect. You know, and then that, that got embedded into social media. So it's just like you have to appear perfect all the time. You have to do everything all the time. I mean, this idea is really embedded deeply in us. And so we have to deconstruct it. We have to get it out. And and the 85% rule is a summary, a sort of a rule of thumb for how to apply this. Because Mm -hmm. let me just add one final little caveat to the story, non-trivial part of it, because after they get to the South Pole, they have to make a 16,000-mile journey back to Norway. I said, that's not nothing. (laughs) You know, like just getting there is not the thing. Because in fact, the British team does get there. They're late. They're demoralized. They are utterly, truly exhausted. And not one of them make it back alive. They Mm. all die on the way home. So we can apply the 85% rule by simply saying, okay, well, anything I'm going to do, first of all, I might just say there's an upper bound to it. So you say, okay, I'm going to start a journal. I've always wanted to journalize. Well, have an upper bound. You say, okay, I'm not going to write more than five sentences a day, but I'll never write less than one sentence a day. Whatever it seems right, do less so that you don't write three pages the first day you write your journal. And then day two, you don't have the hour you just spent yesterday. So it's over before it's begun and you feel really bad about yourself. You do less when you could do more. And it's the restraint so that you don't go 100%. You do not try whatever this idea even means to do 110%. I don't even know what that means. That's but not you possible. stop it. You <laughs> stop it right now. You stop that idea. Because here's the language, and I think this is helpful is you want to strive, but not strain. Mm. Yes, that's helpful. And, and that, to me, is one important principle for being able to overcome the endless cycle of exhaustion and to be able to make progress as a mother, but without burning out. Yeah, I mean, that story from your book, that is one of the stories that has stayed with me all of these years since I initially read it, because I am a pusher. And I'm not so good at pacing myself, but I do feel such burnout 
after sprinting and pushing through a project, it's not a sustainable way to live. And so I would encourage any of the moms listening to think about the 85% rule. So basically, Greg, what that means is whatever your optimal, whatever 100% might be for you, shoot for 85% of that, right? Am I getting that yeah, right? Yeah, I, I want to be just a little pedantic about it because 85% is your optimal. So you, you say, okay, what's kind of my maximum? And then you go back from it 10, 15%. Now, I know it's, it's not precise mathematically. You don't know exactly when you're at 100 versus 85, but people know it. They still know it. If you're in red brain, right, where you're trying to do too much, you're pushing too hard, and you just start to feel crazy, which is a very normal sensation, I think, as a parent, you know that you are at the 100% now. And you can't be there. You want to do, okay, how do I construct my day where that happens less often mm. and for less periods of time? So the mantra, I think it's a decent mantra. It's like, look, today let's do an 85% day. Now that doesn't mean nothing. It doesn't mean just let everything go. Mm. But as a normal rule, you say 85%. That is optimal. And that's exactly what the research shows. Literally in all fields of human endeavor, you will make more progress for a longer period of time, achieve more, contribute more, be happier in the journey. All of that is true at the 85% level. Hmm. That's so beautiful. Let's take a quick break to thank this episode's sponsors. Support for today's episode comes from OneSkin, skincare products formulated with OS1, the first ingredient scientifically proven to reverse skin's biological age at the molecular level. For years now, I've aspired to have a thorough skincare regimen especially because I'm turning 40 this year and realizing that I probably should have been caring for my skin for, oh, you know, the last 25 years. But better late than never, right? I have honestly been so intimidated by the many products available on the market and I didn't know where to start. But it turns out it's much simpler than I was building it up to be. Since learning about OneSkin, I've been using their OS1 eye and face topical supplements after washing off my makeup at the end of the day, and with just that easy step, I can truly feel and see a difference. The face topical supplement just feels like a light moisturizer, and my skin feels firmer and more resilient since I've been using it. Something that sets OneSkin's products apart is that they're powered by a scientifically proven peptide called OS1 that targets lines and wrinkles right where they start, your cells. This isn't just another skincare routine, it's a real science breakthrough. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code 3in30 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code 3in30. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them, and please support our show and tell them that we sent you. New Year, healthier skin, that's OneSkin. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. This month on the show, we've been talking about getting back to the essentials of our lives and streamlining all of the extra that is stressing us out and damaging our mental and emotional health. This is an ongoing process for me, but I have to acknowledge that I have made so much progress over the last decade as a result of consistently going to therapy. In the beginning, I went to therapy every week because I had some really heavy stuff to sort through, but as soon as I started to get more of a handle on the tools for emotional wellness and positive self-talk, I started seeing my therapist on more of an as-needed basis. Now I go to counseling about once a month for a tune-up, and in especially intense seasons, I step that up and go more often. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, I recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You can get started by filling out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. It's the season for intense and all-or-nothing New Year's resolutions, but therapy has helped me be so much softer with myself and to celebrate the slow but steady progress I've already made. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com 3in30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3in30. What is your second takeaway for us on how we can more effortlessly live out our best motherhood experience? Yeah. The second point is to start with zero. Okay. So let's, let's start with the story. Um, it's Apple. This is the beginning of their renaissance. So they purchase a company who specialized in DVD burning because they want the software to be able to put onto the Mac. And they, they give the executive team there a couple of weeks to prepare themselves to have a meeting with Steve Jobs, right? So his reputation goes before him. He's, he's going to suffer no fools. But also, importantly, he's like king of simplicity. He wants everything simpler. Okay, so they have weeks to prepare for this meeting, and they have taken their 5,000-page manual, and they had removed so much noise and so much extra stuff and so many features, and they had their slideshow ready to go. And then Steve walks into the room. He goes straight to the whiteboard, and he says, this is the app we're going to build. And he draws one single box and writes on it, burn. And then he says, we're going to grab the item you want to burn. You're going to bring it into that space and click burn. That's the piece of software we're going to build. Mm. And I talked to one of the people in the meeting, one of those people that come from the company that had been purchased. He said, in that moment, we just felt totally embarrassed. We never wanted him or anyone to ever see our presentation. Because what seemed so clear and simple to us, because we were coming from all this complexity, was just nothing compared to how he'd approached it. He said, we learned this lesson that has stayed with us forever afterwards. And it's this, you start with zero. Mm. When you want to simplify, you don't take all the complexity and remove an item or two. You start with zero and see, well, could we achieve this in a single step, a single click? Is there a one-click solution to this problem? instead of what we've always done before. Mm. Whenever we're dealing with something that just starts to feel overwhelming, you say, okay, scrap everything we've done before. For example, we don't want Christmas or, or we don't want Thanksgiving or we don't want birthdays to be everything we've ever done mm -hmm. in every year previously, including all the new ideas. Yeah. Like we don't want that. And that doesn't mean that I'm anti-traditional or that anybody else should be, but the idea that Every year, we are literally just going to add more and more complexity without having like a, sort of the edge of a mental breakdown whenever these events happen is crazy. Eventually, it will discombobulate the system. And so instead to say, okay, right, it's somebody's birthday. Let's start from zero. Mm -hmm. What really matters mm -hmm. to you? What is important? And it's going to be a little emotional, I would say, to have these conversations. But like, let's do it. What really matters? Do these things matter to you anymore? Do those things matter? Which are the most important? If you could only do one thing, what would it be? And then not only that, it's like, how can you do it in a way that's effortless? Like that question is not natural at first. So you identify, okay, what's the thing? And then how can we make it effortless to achieve this? Yes. And Greg, this reminds me, of, I have a course called Declutter Your Motherhood. And I mm -hmm. talk a little bit about how our inner motherhood closets are stuffed with shoulds. 
all the things yes. that we think we should be doing. Yes. And it's come from our family of origin. It's come from social media, from friends, from our religious background, from all of it. Totally. And you kind of have to start with zero and take all of those shoulds out and look at them one by one and say, but what do I actually want for my motherhood? I had a friend who was a professional organizer come and do my physical closet with me. And <laughs> I had only ever organized by leaving the stuff in the closet and thumbing through it and saying, I still like that and pulling some things out. But she said, it's an entirely different experience when you take it all out. Essentially, you start with zero. Yes. You take it all out and you decide deliberately what deserves to go back in. So I definitely thought of that image as you're talking about simplifying some of the things we're doing as mothers, the traditions, the expectations, the children's activities. Instead of looking at a big full calendar and saying, what can we cut out? Maybe getting a blank calendar and saying, what do we actually want on here? Like if none of that was even in here to begin with, what would we want on this calendar? Yep. So agree. So what is your third and final takeaway for us? I call it radical gratitude now. Let me tell the story and then I'll share what the point is at the end of it. Um, it's always a little emotional for me to think about this story, to, to try to put it into words. But it all started in the midst of a pretty shocking parenting, wasn't moment, but almost era of our lives when we look back at it all. But we just moved to a really beautiful neighborhood. It was like it was built in the 1950s and the whole world's gone on, but no one told anyone in this community. And it just was like this pretty extraordinary idyllic moment for us as a family. And our children are just always outside playing with the animals, climbing trees. Uh, Eve especially seemed to thrive. And she was on the rock climbing team and she wrote journal like endlessly at night. And she read constantly. She was voluminous in the language. She came on a keynote with me once and my wife texted after about an hour, like, oh, how are things going? And you know, I texted back. I was like, no, she has not stopped talking for an hour, literally. And so she's just thriving. Uh, picture of health. And then she turned 14 and everything sort of seemed to change and like she took longer to do her chores. She seemed a little physically awkward and we'd ask her how she was. It was kind of one word answers. And and we thought, well, it could be just pretty age appropriate shift really. But then after a routine physical therapy appointment, the therapist brought us aside and said, listen, she just failed a reflex test. You know, don't worry, but I'd encourage you to go see a neurologist. And it was right at the time when her symptoms had already just started to catch her attention differently anyway, like they seemed to have been accelerating. And so, of course, we didn't need to be told twice anyway. And so that began a journey of constant visits to neurologists. And nobody could tell us even the beginning of a diagnosis. But the behavior, the symptoms were, were growing significantly. It's like a free fall in human capability, you know, like a complete loss of certain executive functions. So the whole right-hand side of her body stopped working. It took her literally timed hours to eat a meal. So we'd be finished and she would still have maybe an hour, an hour of eating left. I mean, there's all sorts of forms of suffering in the world, but I think it's up there in the highest category of suffering to watch your daughter become increasingly comatose and likely to fall into a coma and die and to have no diagnosis whatsoever. I remember all that personality, all that light, all of that was gone. It was in the midst of that experience that I learned that I was completely wrong about something I thought I knew. And here's what I thought I knew. I thought I knew what gratitude was. And I believed in gratitude. It's not like I was brand new to the idea of gratitude or its power. 
But suddenly I realized I was really wrong in my understanding of it because I had believed that gratitude is being thankful for the good things in your life. Mm. I think that's what we're told. We're told it explicitly. I mean, even if you like look it up in the dictionary, that's not what it is. What gratitude is, is to be thankful for everything in your life. And that's not the same thing. Like it's a completely different thing to say, like I'm thankful for my healthy daughter. It's a completely different thing to say, I am thankful that my perfectly healthy daughter now has an undiagnosed neurological condition. Because you don't want to say that. Nobody wants to say that. <laughs> that will stick in your throat. And I hope no one has gone through that. But I do know that everybody listening has been through or is right now going through something that is causing them suffering. Mm -hmm. Like, I really think suffering is universal. There's no mother listening to this. There's no person listening to this that doesn't know that that's true. And that the idea of what I'm saying, I do not say lightly, but the moment that you can say, I am thankful for this specific thing that's causing me suffering because you don't know the end of that sentence when you start it. It's hard enough just to say it. But the moment you do, you unlock a completely new life. Because to express gratitude in that way, I call it radical gratitude now, and that's the name of the principle, let's say. And I call it that because to define it from what we think gratitude is, although actually it's just gratitude. I'm talking about just gratitude, but it's the real thing. That is radical gratitude. What it does, it's, to express it, is an act of faith. You express it, and you don't know the answer. You don't know the because, but you open yourself to the possibility that there is a reason. And that meaning is the only thing that can counter the suffering of our lives. You've got a state of suffering or a state of meaning, and that's your choice most of the time in life. You've got to choose between those states and the way to get to meaning, or at least I think perhaps the most effective way, the fastest way I'm sure, is to express radical gratitude. Because as you get to the because, you open your mind to a possibility, oh, maybe this is happening for us, not to us. Mm -hmm. Maybe this isn't punishment. It is blessing, but we cannot see it. We cannot understand it yet. And as soon as we were able to do that as a family, and it took us repetition after repetition of the idea of gratitude and radical gratitude to undo the assumptions we had about life and the situation we're in. So it wasn't like one exposure to the idea, but it immediately had a different kind of effect on us. And it immediately changed us from this state of suffering to a state of meaning. And that's not nothing. Because once you get into a state of meaning, or like what I call an effortless state, now you can see clearly. Instead of just feeling so so full of pain that you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. You talk in that last chapter of Effortless about how you saw two paths in front of you. That's that, right. That you could either be bitter and despair, and they would be in some ways completely justified. But you could choose another path where your family chose radical gratitude. You chose to wait for your answers with happiness and joy and that the choice was yours. Yeah. My wife knew of all these neurologists, this is the one we need, but that's the right person. And we went to see him and it was when he came in, he brought a team with him and he was completely focused. Like he was just obsessive about trying to work this out. And, and he did a test on her and he immediately said, immediate hospitalization. We're going to treat her in order to diagnose her. We're going to presume a diagnosis. We're going to try it and we'll learn. So she was treated for encephalitis and uh, that we began something like a two-year journey of improvement until now she is 
she is back. She is well again. She's whole again. She's everything she was before again. I mean, she lost a lot of a couple of years of her life and that's not nothing, but she's back and her life is thriving and she's doing well and she will do well. And and to me, this goes to the heart of effortless because you call a book effortless, there's a, there's a risk to this. And that is people go, oh, my life's not effortless. And it's like, yeah, well, you don't write a book because people's lives are effortless. Mm. You write a book because life is almost always for almost everyone suffering. And what I've learned is that there is a different way to do life. And you have to undo ways of thinking that you've had that have added to suffering without purpose and without meaning. And when you can start to do that, you start to go, oh my goodness, I can get through this. I can live through this life. It doesn't always have to be so hard all of the time. I can find a better, different, lighter path. And that is the why of Effortless. Well, thank you, Greg, so much for sharing such a personal part of your story. I know it's every parent's yep. worst nightmare for their child to suffer and to watch their yep. child suffer. And when you finished Effortless, you mentioned she was doing better, but right. I'm so thrilled to hear how well she's doing now and that you did the work to find the radical gratitude. And like you mentioned, every single person listening has something that they're struggling with and if you make gratitude a part of that, your life will feel more effortless even when your life is really hard. Yeah. Well, that's the magic of it. Is there a way to not make that tougher by the ways that we think? And, and maybe that's a good place to end is just to ask that question. How am I making life, motherhood, harder than it needs to be? Mm. I think that's a, a decent coaching question to kind of hold on to. Yes. Well, Greg, thank you so, so much for your time today and for your work for writing these two books. I know listeners are going to want to learn more from you. Where's the best place that you would direct them to start? Oh, that's a nice question because there's a new thing that I just literally finished. If you just go onto gregmcewan.com, it's right on the homepage, completely free. It's a 30-day course, so you get like a full download. It's a series of lessons emailed every few days and it brings essentialism and effortless together. Mm. Uh, it's called Less But Better. And so you get the lesson sent to you every few days. So it's kind of a gentle reminder, but you can also work through the workbook at your own speed. And that's it. You can sign up in 10 seconds. Well, I'm so glad you created that because as I read your two books and reread them this week to prepare to interview you, I thought, I just need a workbook or I need him. I, <laughs> I want to take his class at Stanford to like, how do yeah. I apply this? So I'm so yes. glad to hear you've made the workbook for us to apply it. Well, it's, it's a place to start. Yes. All right. Well, Greg, thank you again so much for your time and for sharing this heartfelt wisdom with us. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Many thanks to Greg McEwen for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a dream of mine to interview him and he was even more delightful to talk to than I imagined he would be. He's first and foremost a devoted family man, and I think that comes through in the way that he talks about the challenges of life and how important it is to do what we can to hold on to the joy of our relationships instead of getting weighed down by the rigor of it all. So as a quick recap, here are Greg's three takeaways for how to lighten the mental and emotional load of parenting. First, employ the 85% rule. Don't believe the lie that maximum effort equals maximum results. Remember the race to the South Pole and pace yourself because optimal effort equals maximum results, not maximum effort. According to Greg's research, optimal effort is generally about 85% of what would utterly burn you out. 
So think about that in terms of the things you do every day as a mother. How can you lower the bar a bit and accept that not everything has to be perfect or even your, quote, best work? How can you adjust your efforts to be 85% of maximum, even on days when you feel like you could do more? Because in motherhood, you will hit metaphorical bad weather days and seasons, and you will need some reserve in your emotional tank to keep going. So pace yourself in good times and in bad. Second, start with zero. If your life feels heavy or overcomplicated, don't try to just edit out a few things and expect that it will make everything better. Start with zero, meaning allow yourself to consider a totally new way of doing things without any precedent of, we've always done it this way. What if you had a blank slate and could design a motherhood life based on what you and your family actually want, instead of what's always been done or what your mother or society thinks is the right way to do things? When you allow yourself to start from zero instead of starting from something complicated, you might surprise yourself with the clarity and creative ideas that come. And if you need some help figuring out how to do this, my Declutter Your Motherhood audio course that I mentioned to Greg in the episode is on a rare sale right now, and I will teach you how to empty the metaphorical closet of your life and make deliberate choices about what deserves to be added back into your motherhood. You can go to 3in30podcast.com declutter to learn more about that. And third and finally, practice radical gratitude. As Greg reminded us, gratitude doesn't mean being thankful for the good things in your life. It means being thankful for everything in your life. This can be wildly difficult to achieve, of course, but the point of working towards this kind of radical gratitude, this unreasonable gratitude, isn't because you should to be a good person. It's because when you do, the struggles and hardships you face will truly start to feel a bit lighter. Choosing to see meaning in the hardest moments of your life is what will give you the strength to keep going. And that alone makes striving for gratitude worth it. I want to end by reading you Greg's final sentences from the book Effortless. He says this, quote, If you take away just one message from this book, I hope it's this. Life doesn't have to be as hard and complicated as we make it. Each of us has, as Robert Frost wrote, promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. No matter what challenges, obstacles, or hardships we encounter along the way, we can always look for the easier, simpler path, end quote. In our busy modern world, it is the road less traveled by to choose to simplify your life and your thinking so you can actually enjoy the relationships and activities that matter most to you. I hope the takeaways from the past two episodes give you a place to start, and I wanted to let you know that I will be back on Thursday for a special bonus episode where I will share one more story from Greg's books, that has had a profound impact on me. So come back Thursday for that. And in the meantime, as always, I am rooting for you and I hope you have a beautiful week with your family.